Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, talking with you once again about practical issues related to ministry leadership. Well, last week on the podcast, we did part one of this two-part podcast entitled Power and Authority in Ministry Relationships. Now, if you did not hear the podcast last week, let me give a very brief overview. Last week, I laid out a biblical perspective on the words exousia and dunamis, the words for authority and power in the New Testament. And we learned that these words are closely connected and that they are used to describe the ministry that Jesus performed, both of them in very positive ways. And then we looked at positive and negative uses of both exousia and dunamis throughout the New Testament. And we drew some conclusions from that. All power uh, belongs to God. All authority belongs to God. And then God vests his power and authority in people and structures like governments and churches and families. As a result of that, we also know that all authority can be used and all power can be used for good or bad. We see that again in the New Testament. And then finally, Christian leaders have authority and power, and we must learn to use it wisely so that we use it for good and that we always recognize it's vested in us by God and ultimately all authority and power rests in God. Now, I also addressed the issue last week that some of you have a very negative reaction to the words power and authority in ministry relationships. You don't even like talking about those subjects And I even went so far last week as to outline some areas where this is often used negatively. I talked about negative attitudes and the evidence of power abuse, the drift we might be experiencing, and then finally some power games that people play and that we sometimes even play ourselves. Now today, I want to shift the focus. If you didn't hear the first podcast and you need more detail about what we said, go back and listen to that one, then come back to this one. But today I want to shift the focus, and I want to talk about 10 sources of power and authority in ministry relationships. And some of these you control, and some of them, quite frankly, you don't. But recognizing that all 10 of these exist in the relational dynamics taking place within a ministry organization is an essential component of developing wisdom to know how to use power and authority effectively. Now, these 10 things I'm going to mention are not just things that you as the leader have, make this clear understanding, other people in your organization also have some of these, and so the interplay of these factors is a part of using authority and power wisely, and recognizing when power and authority dynamics are taking place in your organization that may help you understand why or maybe why not certain things are happening, being decided, or being able to be advanced. So let's talk about these now. Ten sources of power and authority in ministry relationships. The first three, as I've said, are outside your control. There's really nothing you can do to get them. You can only receive them. And once you have them, make the best use of them. The first, obviously, is God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit. This is the ultimate source of power and authority. 
He has it all. He invests it in us. He shares it with us. You cannot control God. You have no capacity to control the Holy Spirit's work through you to demonstrate power and to exercise authority. You can pray for it. You can yield to it. You can anticipate it and trust in it, but you can't force it to happen. So the first source of power and authority in ministry relationships is God, Jesus, Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is at work in us and in every other believer in our organization. And he can produce power in and through any of us and exercise authority as shared and vested by God in us in different ways in our organizations. That's first. Second, the second source of power and authority that's outside your control is your call experience. Now, you can respond positively to being called, but you can't call yourself. God calls people to ministry leadership and then through his calling process to an assignment of ministry leadership in his kingdom. Your calling gives you authority and power in ministry relationships. When you are called to be the pastor, to be the president, to be a professor or a director, when you have a sense of calling that God has placed you in the role and expects from you leadership in that context, that gives you power and authority that comes from God. Your call is a good source of power and authority. Now, the third one is one you might not have thought about in this context, but is very real. And that is what I will call personality or gifts or charisma. Personality, gifts, charisma. Now, every one of us have a personality. All of us have leadership gifts of one level or another, and all of us have a certain kind of charisma in our role. But you didn't do much to shape your personality gifts or charisma. That's how God hardwired you. And that's why some people have what it's called it. It's a invisible but very noticeable leadership quality that causes some people to have almost a magnetism that attracts others and compels them to go forward together. You know, for 10 years, I was the chaplain for the San Francisco Giants. And in that context, I met a young man that I've often said was the finest leader under age 25 that I've ever met. He has a remarkable presence about him. He's not loud. He's not braggadocious. He's not the life of the party by any means. But when he walks in the room, there is no question a leader has arrived. When he was first in the Giants organization, at his first spring training, as a young 
kid right out of college and right into professional baseball. I was talking in the clubhouse with a 10-year major league veteran. And this player that I'm referring to walked by. We greeted him. Hello, good morning. He kept walking, going on to his appointment. I turned back to the 10-year veteran, and he mouthed the words to me, can't miss. And I watched him carefully as he said them quietly again, can't miss. And I said, do you mean can't miss making the ball club this year? And he said, no, can't miss Hall of Fame. I've never seen a young player who carries himself like this guy and who is such a leader already in this clubhouse. Wow. That's what I mean. Now, most of us did not get that level of personality gifts and charisma, but all of us got some of it. And all of us have the capacity to demonstrate leadership naturally because of who we are question is sometimes raised, are leaders made or born? And the answer is yes. You can make a person into a better leader, but you can't put in them what God left out. Leaders are also born. I saw this in my oldest son, who has always been a leader. When he was in the first grade, we went to a parent-teacher conference, and the teacher said, your son will be the president of his class when he's in high school. Uh, the student body president, perhaps, and will always be the leader of his peers. This was a first grade teacher. Well, she nailed it. That's exactly what he did. And he went on to be a leader in college and a leader in his work. He's always been a person that people look to for leadership. So some people have this in greater degree than others, but I want to underscore for every one of you listening to the podcast, all of us have some leadership charisma some leadership gifts, some leadership personality. Don't minimize that gift that God has given you. So here are three things that are at work in power and authority in ministry relationships that we receive more than we achieve. God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit is at work in us and through us. Our call experience settles us and gives us a platform from which to work. And our personality, gifts, and charisma oftentimes make us that natural-born person that people want to follow. But now let's shift our attention to sources of power and authority that are outside our control. And the first one, especially for Christian leaders, is service. Jesus said, the greatest among you, the one with the most influence, the most power, the most authority, the greatest among you is the servant of all. When you serve people, you gain influence in their lives. And by doing so, you have the privilege of exercising power and authority with them. A number of years ago, a young pastor came to me with a dream. He said, Dr. Orge, I've been told you're a visionary leader that really appreciates forward thinking and big ideas. I'd like to lay out for you what I want our church to do in the next 10 years and get your reflections on it. I said, great, come see me. So he came to my office and gave me a notebook, which uh, had his 10-year plan laid out in quite a bit of detail. It was a magnificent piece of work, to be quite honest. He walked it, walked me through it. And as he did, I sat there thinking, here's a young pastor in his mid-20s laying out a 10-year dream for a church, and it's pretty well done and 
really spectacular in terms of trying to take people to places they've never been and never even dreamed of going. It, it was quite a vision. When he finished, he said, what do, you, what do you think of this? And I said, I think it's fantastic. He said, wow, I appreciate that. And then he asked me, what should I do first? And I wanted to get his attention and lighten the moment and make a point. So I said, well, the first thing I want you to do is take that notebook home and put it in a drawer and marry and bury some people. And he looked at me with a blank face. Marry and bury some people? I said, yeah. Take that notebook home, put it in a drawer, and marry and bury some people. He said, Dr. George, I don't understand. I said, okay, let me help you. I said, you're mid-20s. You've been at your church for a year. You've got a great plan here. But you're about to ask your church for hundreds of thousands of volunteer hours and millions of dollars. Over the next decade, that's what you're asking for. And here's the remarkable thing. They'll give it if they trust you. If they trust you, they will follow you to accomplish amazing things. But they will trust you if you serve them. You'll gain influence in their lives by going to their weddings and celebrating happy times and going to their funerals and caring for them during hard times. And everything in between, like hospital visits and graduation parties and all kinds of other events that you'll be working with. Because when you get up in front of your church and you ask them to fulfill this vision, a husband and wife will be sitting there, and this is what they will think. You know, when our teenage daughter got arrested for being drunk, and taken to jail, and our pastor went with us to bail her out and counseled us through that storm in our family and kept it all confidential. We believe in that pastor, and he wants us to serve this way. Well, we're all in. I said, that's how people process whether they trust you or not. Have you served them? Have you gained their confidence? Have you demonstrated your competence? Are you a trustworthy person that they're willing to invest their time and their money in following? The first and most important way that you gain influence, which is the capacity of demonstrating authority and power and using it in the lives of other people, the first and best way you do that is by serving others. And I'm proud to say that young man did that. He went home and served his church in the name of Jesus and then asked them to do remarkable things, and they did, as most times they will. Here's a second source within your control, and that's position or office. The first day that I was an employee of Gateway Seminary, I was the president. And I walked into the meeting of the executive team the first day and said, uh, welcome, thank you for coming today. I'm glad to meet with you. Let's get started. Now, sitting around that table were four vice presidents. I think the shortest tenured one in higher education at that point was like 12 years, and they went up from there. And my tenure in higher education was less than one day. And yet, who sat at the head of the table? I did. Who had the 
power and authority to lead the seminary? I did. And why was that? Because I knew the most of anyone around the table? No, no. Because I'd been there the longest? No. But because I was president. When you have a position or an office like pastor or president, youth pastor, professor, director, when you have a position or an office, it comes with power and authority. In the role itself, you've been given the capacity to exercise power and authority in the lives of other people. So if you have those, if you have one of those, a position or an office, you have the potential of using it as a source of power and authority. Now let's move on to a third source, wealth, finances, resources. You say, wow, that sounds awfully negative because, yeah, people will use their wealth or their finances or their resources to try to control things. Well, that's the negative side. But what about the positive side? When you have a leadership responsibility, it often comes with the capacity to spend money, to decide where resources go, and by doing that, to affect change, to emphasize certain priorities, to reward high-performing people. You have that capacity. And so wealth, resources, finance, yes, it can be used negatively. People can withhold money to try to force you to do what they want, or they can give money to try to get done what is their agenda. Yeah, I get that. But there's also the positive side of this, where you manage a budget. You have resources entrusted to you. Uh, sometimes at Gateway, for example, you know, we get in meetings and we don't have enough money to do this or don't have money to do that, and it's discouraging. And sometimes I just remind the team, hey, let's take a giant step back. God has entrusted us this next year about $12.5 million. That's our budget for next year. We can do a lot with that. What can we do positively, and how can we leverage our power and authority, our influence, if you will, to use these resources that we control for the best use, for the greatest impact? So, yes, wealth, resources, finances can be a negative but don't overlook the fact that they can also be an incredible positive. Okay, number four. The fourth source of power and authority that's within your control is information. Information. You know things other people don't know. And because of that, you have more influence, more power and authority in the moment. You know, I've been a ministry leader for 40 years. I have preached and taught Hundreds, if not thousands of times, I've read dozens and dozens and dozens of books. My life's work has been leadership. So naturally, I have a lot of information about some aspects of that and about how to do it and hopefully do it well. But one of the things that I've learned over the years is I've gotten more and more skilled and knowledgeable in certain areas is how little I know in other areas. So, for example, I was recently in a meeting where there was a financial report given, and it seemed a bit alarming to me, but I didn't understand all the terminology that was being used or all that was being said exactly. So I turned to my chief financial officer, who has an undergrad in finance and an MBA and is a CPA and a certified treasury professional, and I said to him, can you explain this to me? And he said, it's 
very bad. In fact, it's as bad as it could be. Now, fortunately, this wasn't talking about Gateway, but it was talking about another organization and having him there to interpret what was being said was very helpful to me because in that moment, he had the influence in our relationship. He had the authority and power to speak into my life because he had more information than I do. Now, this is a very significant issue for all of us in ministry leadership because it's easy to start thinking that because we know a lot about some subjects that we're an expert on everything. And that is moving in a direction of organizational dysfunction. Wise leaders go into meetings and recognize that sitting around the table are people who all have information and in many cases have better information and more information than we have about a particular subject. And it takes organiza- it takes uh, leadership humility and organizational humility to be able to say to one another, let's get the best information possible in front of us no matter who shares it or who brings it to the table, and let's make our decisions based on that. That's why it's important for church leaders, for example, to take advantage of the expertise of the people in their congregations to get the work done. That's why when we moved the seminary a number of years ago and morphed from Golden Gate to Gateway and went through a massive land development process and all that went on with that, there were certain aspects of that that I felt like I had the most information about how how to lead. I felt like I knew the most about how to uh, maintain morale and manage the people of our organization through the transition that we were living through. I felt like I knew the most, perhaps, about how to interface these decisions with our national denomination and with our larger constituency. And so I took the strong, aggressive lead in those areas. But I also had other people on my team and people that we had to go out and get on our team by hiring different individuals to take on different tasks who had expertise that I simply recognized I did not have. And so I allowed other people to take the lead in financial management and in land sale and in legal matters related to all these issues. And I brought in professionals about real estate to help our people at our seminary relocate and buy homes in the new area and those kinds of things. I saw that I did not have all the information, but I could use a lot of other people who could bring information to the table and we could get the best decisions for the organization not just the best decisions I could make based on the information base that I had. It's so important that we recognize that information is a source of power and authority. And let me give you another example of what I mean. When you're a pastor, for example, and you have, let's say, five couples in your church, and they all come to you with problems that are going on in their homes, none of the five talk to each other, but they all five talk to you. Now you have an information base about what's going on in your church and in the lives of families that you're ministering to that no one else has. And so as you shape your preaching to meet those needs, people will sit there and say, man, he's been reading our mail. He understands exactly what we're going through. And people who've not even talked to you who have the same issues because you know if five people are telling you something that other people in your community are having the same struggles – They're amazed at your insight in speaking into their lives, and the power and authority you exercise by preaching what they really need to hear is significant. How do you do that? Because you have information that other people don't have. So, information, a great source of power and authority in ministry relationships. Number five, networks. Networks are the connections we form with other people. 
Uh, networks are ways that we inter, uh, we connect in our communities, in our churches, in our denomination, in order to facilitate getting the work done that's needed. For example, I'm on a group called the Great Commission Council. It's the seminary. Uh, it's all the entity presidents of the Southern Baptist Convention, and it may surprise you, but we talk very seldom as a full group. We're all busy. We're all going different directions. We've all got a lot happening, and we just don't spend a lot of time together or when we are together in doing just like chit-chat. It's serious time to get together and get the work done. But the relational connection we have means that if something's going on and I really need to talk to one of these guys, I punch the button on my cell phone and they always take the call, and I do the same for them. That's a network. That's a source of power and authority. It's the capacity to talk to someone else in another organization and get something done. That's why you network in your community with governmental leaders and school leaders and other religious leaders. Um, This is not just politicking. This is building relationships so that when something really needs to happen, you have a relational base to work from uh, in your community networks. Then number six is tenure. Tenure is a source of power and authority. Because the longer a person is in an organization or the longer a person does something uh, and does it well, the more credibility they gain, the more competence they're perceived to have, and the more deference other people show to them. You know, for example, I've now been a seminary president for 20 years coming up this next, uh, next summer. 20 years. So when I go to meetings of other seminary presidents, I'm, uh, I'm usually... Uh, the longest tenured are one of the longest tenured people in the room. The average tenure of a seminary president these days is only about seven years. So when I go into a meeting, it's not uncommon these days for people to turn to me and say, uh, Dr. George, what do you think about this? How did you handle this in your school? What's your perspective on this? And I look around at these younger presidents looking at me as if I'm some oracle from the past. And I think, how did I get here? Well, I got here because I just hung in there for 20 years. And because of my tenure, gained credibility, perceived competence, and a deference to what I've learned and known and what I've demonstrated by my endurance in the job that gives me that. You know, when I went to my first church, there was a man named Ralph who had tenure on everybody. He was a part of the founding group that started the church about 25 years before I got there. And when I got there, he was in retirement. He was still the deacon chairman and was the chairman of the pastor search committee that brought me to the church. He had tenure. Everyone in the church respected him, uh, looked to him for leadership, and trusted his judgment. He was a retired railroad worker, a blue-collar man to be sure. But that didn't mean that people didn't respect and trust him for what he had accomplished in 25 years of leadership in our church. So, When I went there as pastor, he said, Pastor, I want to take you out and introduce you to the church. And I had the good sense to say yes. So for the first several weeks, uh, three or four nights a week, Ralph would come by my house and pick me up, and we'd go visiting, he called it. And we'd go see one or two, three families in our church. And we made some appointments, but other times just dropped in because, hey, it was Ralph. Everybody had time to visit with him. And he took me around and introduced me to people and said at each stop, I want you to meet our young pastor. When we were working with him on the pastor search committee, we became just so impressed with his potential. And although he's young, we believe in him. And I want you to meet him and uh, get to know him and have an opportunity to, to hear his heart so you can serve alongside him. And by Ralph's tenure, using his power and authority, 
that came from his tenured relationship with our church, he extended to me favor and blessing, which gave me greater credibility with our congregation. Tenure. And then finally, the last one is competence. Competence is just being good at what you do. It's having a skill set that people respect, and they watch you make decisions over time such that they have greater confidence in your leadership as you move along. You know, for more than 30 years, Dr. Mike Martin was a vice president here at Gateway, and he led our academic program with a deft touch, a, a gentle touch, but a firm hand. And he consistently made the right decisions about how to deal with people and how to work with situations and how to move us forward. And because of his competence, he had a lot of power and authority in our organization. So that when Mike said something, people believed him, took him at his word, and were willing to put into practice what he said because of his demonstrated competence over the decades. Well, these are seven sources of power and authority in ministry relationships that you can cultivate and that you also must be wise enough to recognize are going on in the lives of people around you. Service, position, wealth, information, networks, tenure, and competence. Think about these seven as a constellation of factors. No one of them determines all power and authority in all ministry relationships. But working together, they do help you unravel the web of what's really happening and who really has the power, the control, the authority, the influence in your ministry organization. You have a lot of it. Other people have some too. And wise leaders understand how these dynamics play together. So trust God, rest in your calling, and be thankful for the charisma you have. God gave you all three of those things as sources of power and authority. But these other seven, cultivate them as you move along in your leadership role and pay attention to how they interplay in your relationships with others and learn to manage these things wisely, not for your benefit, but for the benefit of your organization and most importantly, for the advancement of God's kingdom. Using power and authority wisely should always result in that great outcome. Don't be afraid of power and authority. They're real forces. They can be forces for good. Hopefully what you've learned these last two weeks on the podcast will help you as you better manage these important concepts and put them into practice. Do so this week as you lead on. <laughs>